Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Nimrod stood there with his sword in his hand, it had the blood of his enemies on it, and he looked all around him at his conquered foe. And he raised his fist up to God, and he raised his sword up to God, and he said, I am Nimrod. I conquer. I win. Then Nimrod looked over, and he looked off to the east, and he said, See that big field there, Yahweh? (laughs) I'm going to build something so awesome so mighty, and it's going to defy everything you stand for, because I don't follow you. I follow other mightier gods than you, and I will prove it right over there in that beautiful plain. I'm going to build something so amazing it will outdo anything that you can imagine, because I am Nimrod, and I am mighty. With that, he sheathed the sword, and he called his troops forward, and they marched off to the plain of Shinar. What was this amazing thing he was going to build to defy God? Well, first of all, we got to find out who is this Nimrod, and how does he relate to Noah? Well, you find out all about these various questions in Genesis 9 through 11. And in Genesis 9, we have Noah getting off the boat. And when Noah gets off the boat, he has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And when they get off the boat, God makes a covenant with them, if you remember from last time. And he says, from now on, I will never wipe out the earth with a flood again. Look at that rainbow. That's the sign of this Noahic covenant, which is still in place today. Between you and your descendants, I will not flood the world ever again. I will not wipe it out by flood ever again. And you know what else? I'm now going to establish human government Because I want you to spread out, and I want you to fill the earth, Noah. I want you and your sons and their wives, I and your wife, I want you eight people to go out, fill the earth. You're my new Adam and Eve. I just want you to multiply, fill it with people, fill it with stuff. To do that, you're going to have to establish governments, and I give you that right. I give you the right. To have capital punishment in my name. If somebody steals, if somebody murders, you have the right to punish them now in my name. You are my representative. Also, I give you the right to eat 
animals before hey you could only eat vegetarian you could only eat vegetables and fruits and stuff like that now if you want that deer you can have some good deer meat if you want to eat that bull you can have some great steak go ahead and i want you to fill this earth and in genesis chapter 9 we meet this story and noah begins to fill the earth him and his three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now remember, the world has been radically changed according to the flood story. The fountains of the deep burst forth. Rain came down. It was flooding for over 150 days. For over a year, water was on the earth. And the ground and the land mass was fundamentally altered. So no longer could Shem, Ham, and Japheth say, all right, I'm going to go back to home. Let's go check that out. No, they don't even know where home is. It was totally uprooted. Maybe there's a mountain where their home used to be. Maybe there's a deep grand canyon where their home used to be. It totally and radically changed the landscape. So when they go out, they've got to start building and they've got to start creating new things. Well, one of the first things they did was cultivate crops. And it says in Genesis chapter 9 that Noah, being a man of the field, or a man of the soil, he began to plant and to build and to plant crops. And one of the things Noah planted after he got off the ark, we don't know how long, you know, maybe 10 years down the road. I don't know exactly the time frame, but he planted, one of the things he planted was a vineyard. And a vineyard has grapes, and he loved grapes. And at the end of that, they would turn it into grape jelly. They would turn it into grape juice, but they would also turn it into wine. And it's interesting, in the Bible, this is the first mention of wine in all of the Bible. And what happens to Noah when he drinks of the wine here at the first mention of it? He gets drunk. He gets drunk out of his brain. And it says that he began to drink it, and, and he became inebriated. He became drunk, and he finally fell asleep. Now, we don't know if he intentionally became drunk, or maybe he didn't really understand what he was making, or maybe he did. Maybe he said, you know what? I worked hard 120 years. I was on that boat for over a year. Let's have some fun with wine. I don't know, but Noah went too far. The Bible's clear. You should never, ever, ever get drunk. The Bible never, ever pulls punches about its heroes. Noah is someone to be admired, but he still made mistakes. And here he made the mistake of getting drunk. And he just fell asleep. And he lay there. Now, it says that Ham, his son, I don't think he was living with him. I think he was off building something, and maybe it was one of his day trips back to see mom and dad. He comes back, and he, and he sees his dad drunk. But then Ham, Ham, Ham does something awful. And the Hebrew is confusing enough and obscure enough here that I'm not exactly certain what happened. I'm not exactly certain what Ham did. But this I know. 
Ham totally disrespected his father's authority to the point that it was frighteningly awful. What he did broke God's commands and Ham knew it and he disrespected Noah's authority and his family. And it says he found Shem and Japheth and maybe they were all there for some family reunion. Maybe they're out creating things and then they come back once a year to celebrate the ark landing and maybe this was it. I don't know. But when Ham saw his brothers, he went and told them what he had done and he laughed. Again, he acted disrespectful, and he thought Shem and Japheth would just join in and high-five him over what he did, but they didn't. Instead, they were appalled. They were absolutely disgusted by what he did. And it says Shem and Japheth, they took probably the garment that fell off of Noah or maybe the blanket that, you know, on the bed that he was laying on that it fell off. It says that Shem and Japheth picked up the blanket or the garment and they didn't want to look at their dad because what had happened to Noah was so embarrassing. And so they looked away and they walked backwards holding the blanket so that this blanket would go over Noah and then they let it fall so Noah, their dad, was completely covered. They didn't want to disrespect him, unlike Ham, who didn't care about his dad's leadership, who didn't care about his dad's authority in his life, and totally disrespected it. Shem and Japheth were different. They're like, no, we respect our dad. It matters. It says when Noah woke up, oh, he's going to have a hangover. It's going to hurt. And probably looked at the blanket and realized what his son had done and shook his head and incredible disappointment in Ham. Maybe Ham had shown this sort of disrespect to authority as whole life. Maybe it had been in little glimpses. He didn't obey his dad when he asked him to do something on the ark. He didn't obey his dad when he asked him to build something for the ark. Ultimately, Ham did what was right and he got on the ark. But he had this rebellious spirit inside of him to authority and to his dad. And then it finally came out in full force here in Genesis 9. I think ultimately what Ham was trying to do was take authority over the family, to take authority over the clan, to knock his dad down a peg or two, and so he's going to be in charge. So Noah gathers his boys, and he says, All right, listen, because of what happened, I'm going to have to curse you, Ham. I'm going to have to Give God's curse upon you. But I know inside of you is good, is what I think he's thinking. And he says, I'm not going to give the curse to you, but I'm going to give the curse to your descendants. And Noah looks over and he points at Ham's little boy playing maybe in the, in the trees or, or playing in the mud. And he says, Cursed be Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, your offspring, Ham. 
Cain and, and his offspring, his descendants, they're going to serve your brother Shem. They're going to serve your brother Japheth. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Cursed is Canaan and his offspring. They're going to serve your brothers. I don't want to have Ham was struck to the core. He shouldn't have done what he did, and now his family is cursed. You know, I think it's interesting that the book of Genesis is written to the people of Israel as they're about to go back into the promised land. So Moses is writing this to Joshua and all the tribes of Israel as they're about to go back into the promised land. And one of their big duties is to go back into the promised land and wipe out all the other tribes that have been there. They've got to wipe them out. And one of those tribes, one of those groups of people that they have got to wipe out are the Canaanites, the descendants of Ham. I think Moses is saying... They've been cursed from the get-go. Do not worry about wiping them out. They have been cursed. And then Noah turns to Shem. And he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. And then verse 27, he says to Japheth, May God enlarge Japheth. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. See, out of the line of Shem and Japheth are going to come men and women who want to serve God, who want to do what's right. But out of the line of Ham came Nimrod. Nimrod's dad, his name was Cush. And Cush's dad, his name was Ham. And Ham's dad was Noah. So Nimrod was a great-grandson of Noah. And the whole of Genesis chapter 10 is this listing of this. It's called the Table of Nations. Where did all these people groups come from? How did they end up where they're at? And they trace all their lineage back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's really interesting. But Nimrod, in the middle of all these names, is singled out. And he is known as a mighty warrior, a mighty man of power. It says a mighty one in the earth and a mighty hunter before the Lord. It says in Genesis chapter 10 that Nimrod, a descendant of Ham, was a mighty warrior. And Nimrod built city after city after city. And it says in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was the city of Babel. Nimrod built the city of Erech, the city of Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And then later on, he goes into Assyria and he builds Nineveh and Rehobothur and Kalah and Rezin. And he builds these mighty cities because he is a mighty warrior. But Nimrod, Nimrod also means rebel, defiant one. And throughout the Bible, Nimrod is cast as an evil adversary to the good people that come from Noah. 
Well, Noah said to his kids, I want you to go forth and I want you to multiply and I want you to fill this earth. Fill it up. Well, right away, we see sin rearing its ugly head and what happens to Noah and what happens to Ham. Well, later on, we find sin rearing its ugly head again because when God said, I want you to go forth to multiply and fill the earth, it says in Genesis chapter 11 that the people did the exact opposite. And many people believe they were probably led by Nimrod, this rebel who had probably conquered family after family, who had probably brought people into his kingdom, into his power. And things are starting to go against what God had intended. He wants a big, huge family to fill the whole earth. But instead, people are saying, no, we're going to clump together under the leadership of Nimrod. And the Nimrod kingdom seemed to establish itself right there on the plain of Shinar, which anybody reading the book in Moses' day would have put that right at the center of this evil empire called the Babylonians. Where Babylon is, that's where Babel was. Where Babylon is, that's where the city named Babel was being constructed by this evil warrior king named Nimrod. And it's going against exactly what God said. Well, Nimrod didn't care. Nimrod instead says, hey, let's make bricks. Chapter 11, verse 3. And let's burn them thoroughly. And, and, and then let's build ourselves a city and a tower and let's all get together right here in the plain of Shinar. And it says there in chapter 11, verse 4, probably again led by Nimrod, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the world. And people forget who you are, and people forget who you are, and, and people just talk about God. No, we want our name great. And I think in the leadership of it all, Nimrod's thinking, I want my name to be great. So Nimrod led in an immense rebellion against God. Many people believe the story of Babel occurred about five generations after Noah. Because Noah lived a long time. It says in Genesis chapter 9 at the end of it that Noah lived for another 350 years after he got off the boat. And he lived for a total of 950 years before he died. And I wonder, what did the descendants of Shem and Japheth think of this Nimrod asking to build a city five generations later? Because you know the descendants of Shem and Japheth, and I think even some of the descendants of Ham would have passed on. we got to fill this whole earth. God told us to multiply. God told us to spread across the whole earth. we got to do that. But man, this Nimrod guy, he's frightening. If we don't do what he says he wants us to do, we could get killed. And, and he's also pretty charismatic. And we're going to build a city. And, and man, there's power and unity. If we could stick together. And I think some of the families that were developing and some of the cultures that were developing were pulled off into pursuing Nimrod's idea of ultimate unity and defiance against God. Because it says in Genesis chapter 11... 
that the Lord, Yahweh, when he saw what was happening, he realized this isn't good. Again, man letting sin totally dominate him to the point where they're rebelling against God again. You have in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, man rebelling against God and eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree and sin entering the world. Then you have the second great defiance in Genesis chapter 6 when angelic supernatural beings leave their realm and invade this realm and people allow it in and again in defiance of God where God says, I've got to wipe out the whole world and start again. And then in Genesis chapter 11, God looks down and he sees man defiant saying, I will not follow you, God. I'm going to build my own culture. We're going to build a massive city. In fact, we're going to build a tower so high it's going to reach to God. God looks down and says, you went exactly against what I asked. You went against what I asked. And God has got to judge the world once again. But he promised, right? He can't wipe him out with a flood. How is God going to judge him this time? What is God going to use to make man accomplish what he wanted them to do in the first place? Well, it says that in Genesis chapter 11... The people of the earth, under the influence, I think, of Nimrod, they started to build a tower, a tower up to heaven. And many people believe it was probably a ziggurat. And a ziggurat is sort of like a pyramid, except it doesn't have flat sides. It has a huge base, and then you go in a little bit, and then you have another wall that goes up, and then you have another wall that goes up, and and and, and it looks like a stair step all the way up. And back in those days, and probably still even today, many people believed the mountains touched God. The mountains could lead you all the way to heaven. And if you could get to the top of a huge mountain, you might be able to see God. And so people would build these ziggurats. They would look like little mountains to try to reach God, to try to symbolize, yes, we are going to worship God in our own way. I think the demons weren't silent. I think they were pulling people to follow them. I think they were pulling people to worship us. Don't worship Yahweh. Don't pursue him. In fact, let's build the ziggurat to our God, to this demonic being, whoever it happens to be in defiance of God. So God, in response, he looks down and he says, what in the world is going to happen? What should I do? Now, the beautiful thing is we don't serve a God who's confused or at a loss. What should I do? No. God is sovereign in your life and in my life and in the history of humanity. And he has control over the future. He knew man was going to do this. He knew humanity was going to fail. He knew the depths of sin that man could fall to. And I honestly believe he wanted a whole earth pursuing him. He wanted a whole earth full of people that wanted to worship God. 
And it's interesting, in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says this, When the Most High apportioned the nations as an inheritance, when he divided up humankind, he established the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is this. When God looked down and he saw that the thoughts of man again were evil and pursuing other gods and not pursuing him, he said, I want you to spread throughout the whole world. I want you to go and create and build beautiful things in worship of me, but you won't do it. It says in Genesis chapter 11, back then the people all spoke one language. And the, the immense power that they had in speaking that one language. It said that the Lord came down, which I think is interesting. He came down to earth to see the city and the tower. God Almighty, Yahweh. They're trying to build a tower, this mighty ziggurat, to reach him. It's not even close. In fact, for God to have a good look, he's got to come down to earth. I think he came in human form and he started to walk around mixing with the people, seeing how hard they're working. It said they burnt bricks out of clay and then they had this mortar stuff called bitumen, which was this black. They would have these tarry pits full of this black substance that they would put in between the bricks to basically glue them together. And it was hard, hard work building this massive tower and it says the Lord I think walked around, saw this stuff, and shook his head. If, if they had just obeyed him, if they had just done what he had asked, they could have so many wonderful things. But then the Lord comes back, and he says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they're going to do in terms of sin, in terms of rebellion. And man, nothing that they can do will be impossible for them. And he's not thinking in the sense that he's jealous of their ability to create and wow, they're going to be so wonderful. No, he is worried about what's going to happen now. They nearly destroyed the earth before. They're headed right down that same destructive path again. So God says, you know what? To make them do what I want them to do? They all speak one language? Well, guess what? Bzz, now they don't. I can imagine. Frank wakes up. Oh, man, my back hurts. That Nimrod guy, I mean, I admire his fighting ability. and He's got great hair, but oh, he is a slave driver. It kills my back, but I'm scared. I better get to work. And he starts walking out to build this massive ziggurat. And he yells to his foreman, hey, Steve, come over here. But Steve just keeps on walking. And he goes over, hey, Steve, Steve. And Steve looks at him and says, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's what it sounds like today. Frank, Frank's like, what did you just say? Steve's like, blah, 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 blah. And, and Frank's like, 
What in the world are you saying to me? And maybe Steve's like, what are you saying to me? And they're talking back and forth, and they realize they were talking some ancient form of Mesopotamian or Hebrew before, but now Frank's probably speaking Mandarin, and Steve's probably speaking Italian, and they have no clue what they're saying to each other. And they're like, what are you saying? I don't understand a word you're saying. It's just starting to sound like babble. Like I did there, blah, 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 right? That just sounds like babble. And this is where we get that word babble. When people talk to you and it makes no sense, you're like, oh, it just sounds like sheer babble to me. And that's literally an onomatopoeia is the way people sounded to each other. Babble, 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 babble. They just talked and they couldn't understand. And then finally Frank's like, I don't understand you. And he hears Luis over there. And she's screaming for help. Hey, I understand her. Help, help. And Frank goes over and it's chaos. And hey, Louise, I understand you. And Louise is like, oh, I understand you. Yes. And they get together and they start to talk. We understand each other. And then they find two or three more people who understand each other. And maybe Frank goes home and thankfully, hopefully, his family spoke the same language he did. I don't know if God confused the languages to the point where families were broken up. I don't know, but Frank got his family who probably spoke Mandarin, and they found Louise who spoke Mandarin, and her family spoke Mandarin, and they stuck together, but they could only understand each other. They didn't understand anybody else. And they could not build this tower anymore. They couldn't trade. They'd probably built up a city with a nice mall in it. And the time it took them to build this tower. And they built a nice city with a nice community center and a pool. But nobody knows how to run anything or sell anything. Because we don't understand each other. Slowly people began to hear words they understood. People they understood, and people again began to get together and clump after clump after clump, and families began to band together, and then they had to push other families aside. Because I don't understand you. I, I can't work out what you're saying. And it said that people began to move out and to fill this earth. And God said, you know what? If you're not going to do what I ask you to do from the heart and out of rebellion try to stick together, I'm going to get you to do what I want to do in my own way. And it says in Genesis chapter 11 that they began to disperse over the face of the earth. And they began to group by language family where they understood each other. And God did what he wanted them to do, but it was sad. They could have filled the earth with a people of one language who glorified Yahweh. But instead, Deuteronomy 32 verse 8, that God divided mankind up. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind and he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And there's whole interesting stuff dealing with this verse that you can look at. But the key is this, verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his inheritance. Ultimately, at the Tower of Babel, this third awful rebellion against God. God said, I wanted a 
whole family to fill the earth. But because of your rotten sin, I'm going to have to kick everybody out and disperse them by languages. And I'm going to give you guys to other gods. I'm going to give you to other demonic beings. You know, if you want to worship those other gods, fine. I wanted a whole earth full of one family, but now I'm dispersing you and I am going to start again with one family. I'm going to choose one family. And you know what the next chapter is? It's Genesis chapter 12. And you know whose story starts in Genesis chapter 12? Abram, who becomes Abraham, who has descendants, and one of them is Jacob, and out of Jacob he has 12 sons, and out of 12 sons we have the tribe of Israel, and God says, I am going to choose one nation to be mine out of all the earth, out of all the nations that could be there. I'm going to choose one nation, and it's Israel, and they're my elect, and they're my chosen people. And out of that nation comes Jesus. And Jesus offers a free gift of salvation to all. And we're going to see in the book of Revelation that what happened at Babel, where we could have all been one family loving God, but because of sin and Satan we can't. Well, guess what? Because of Abraham... Because of Israel, because of Jesus, we can. In the new heaven and the new earth, I'll be worshiping Yahweh with one pure tongue, it says in the book of Zephaniah. One day we will be all one family as God intended. That's the amazing story that's told there in Genesis chapter 11. And I pray that you are not a person pursuing self, pursuing Nimrod's agenda, pursuing other gods. I hope that you pursue Jesus, who one day will return to be Lord and ruler and king of all. And he's going to judge and we're going to have one family all praising him. And I invite you. To join that family, ask Jesus to save you, pursue him, become a disciple of him. And one day join in that chorus that praises Almighty Yahweh for eternity. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.